a weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.larenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, remember to follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and tap on the bell to make sure you never miss an episode. Let us know what is your favorite topic, who has been your favorite guest, and who would you like to hear from on the next pod. Most importantly, share the podcast and your favorite episode with a friend or colleague. Lastly, remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. This episode is brought to you by Luma Natural. Celebrated for its soothing, calming, and healing properties, lavender is one of nature's greatest gifts. With its versatile range of applications and uses, myriad health and wellness benefits, and delightful flora aroma, lavender is one of the first essential oils people reach for when they need an all-purpose everyday hero. This month, we're putting Luma Naturals 100% Natural Silk Body Butter in the spotlight to share the wonderful benefits lavender can deliver to every member of the household. If you thought lavender was simply a fragrance your grandma used to scent her drawer liners, think again. You'll be amazed to discover the many different ways lavender can enrich your life. As a natural sleep aid, lavender is renowned for its ability to aid in sleep promotion and restore health sleep patterns. Not getting enough sleep? Simply rub some body butter on your feet just prior to bedtime and wake up feeling restored and refreshed. Lavender is also calm and soothing. The aromatherapeutic properties of lavender can help calm anxious minds and frazzled nerves by impacting the limbic system in the brain that controls emotion. Simply rub some in your palms and create a soothing and ambient environment when you inhale. After relaxing baths, after you've soaked your stress away, Apply some of this silk body butter to your muscles and also all over the rest of your body. Keep in mind that a little goes a long way and just enjoy the relaxing effect after your bath. And after that bath, begin to nourish your skin because lavender is full of antioxidants and antifungal properties. As such, it's a great natural skin booster and great for treating dry, thirsty skin. As a moisturizer, it really will nourish your skin. And as we talked about with aromatherapeutic benefits, its heavenly fragrance, almost like perfume, doubles as a perfume, free from chemicals and contaminants. Simply dab a drop or two behind your ear and all over your pulse points for a delightful signature scent. To enjoy the wonderful benefits of lavender, as you hibernate into these cold winter nights, please go to Shop Luma Natural. That's Shop L U M A N A T U R A L dot com, and use the discount code Nourish Your Flourish. Night night. Coming up. I talk with Dr. Deb Butler about mind-body connection, the tenets of mindful eating, and perimenopause and emotions. So grab yourself a glass of brown California red blend, and let's join the conversation. 
There's no better time than perimenopause to make peace with food and learn intuitive eating. As a woman in midlife, you know that dieting doesn't work, and even if it did, it's oftentimes frustrating and exhausting. You're ready to make peace with food and find physical confidence while focusing in on your health and wellness. Today, Dr. Deb Butler joins me to discuss mindful eating for menopausal and postmenopausal women. So Dr. Butler, please introduce yourself and tell us about your own weight loss and dieting experiences. Oh, hello, Dr. White. I would love to tell you about my experiences (laughs) 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 and share them and hope I can help somebody. Yeah, I think I have a pretty good story to share, especially for people who are in menopause, perimenopause, after menopause. And it all has to do with, um, in the end, it has to do with, are you or are you not connected to your body? And my story was that when I was in my 50s, I had a chiropractic practice with my husband and we had been practicing for about 35 years. And it was at this time that I was wondering, is, should I, do I still want to be doing this or would I like to be doing something different? I wasn't sleeping at night and I couldn't lose weight anymore. And lo and behold, my doctor said, Dr. Butler, welcome to menopause. And it's not like I didn't know, but it was a surprise. <laughs> and, and what happened at that time was that what I wanted to know is, I think the thing that frustrated me the most was number one, do I or don't I want to keep in this job? And two, what am I going to do about this weight? Because what I have done my whole life up until that, Being a nutritionist, acupuncturist, know everything about the body is the way I handled my weight is I would go to Weight Watchers. I was a lifetime member. And for 30 years, I would go when my weight was up. And as soon as my weight was down, I was off and running, following any plan and not following any connection. I felt like it was time to have a party, which means eating mindlessly and not doing anything I told my patients. <laughs> and, and when I got to this point and realized that I couldn't lose weight, what was I gonna do? I felt very connected. I, I was realizing how scared I was about like the tricks that I used, Weight Watchers, which had no connection to if I was hungry or not. It had everything to do with how much food could I get in and still lose weight. That really was my goal. And, and I'm a nutritionist and I know better, but that is how I talked about it. And that's how I thought about it. And when this happened, I was also looking for what else I could be doing. And I ran across a life coach. Her name was Martha Beck. And I went into one of her retreats where she talked a lot about the mind and what you think about and Um, and that made me really realize that number one, I wanted to help people more managing their mind than managing just what they put in their mouths. And I also wanted to learn how to do it for myself. So that is what I started to do. And when I was there, one of her coaches came up with the question is, why do you eat when you're not hungry? And do you know when you're hungry? And do you know when you're full? And that was foreign to me. I'm a doctor. I know all about the body. And I'm going, what? And I knew at that time that at, on that day, I just went and sat at the next meal and asked myself, are you hungry? I had never asked myself that before. And and, and when it was time to stop eating is, am I full? And like what I was realizing is that I didn't know the answer to either of those questions, but it was worth looking into. And that's been seriously my life's work since that time was helping women understand that connection, especially in menopause, because menopause is for losing weight. You've been, if you've had your own tricks and tips and things that you've done your whole life and you hit menopause, 
you're going to find that a lot of those things don't work. And that may not be a bad thing. It was a good thing for me because it was like the end of, well, how much can I eat? As opposed to, well, do I know when I'm hungry and do I know when I'm full? And if I'm eating when I'm not hungry, why am I doing that? As opposed to, let me just get all the food I can, all the points. And in the end, I ended up being able to lose weight slowly. Also, the last time. And I did it with body awareness, with just being able to understand my own hunger and fullness and the emotions that were driving me to want to eat when I wasn't hungry. And those emotions were also driving me out of my chiropractic practice, too. <laughs> and once I stopped eating them, I started realizing that there were some messages coming in for me at this time. This is a time of transition for all of us at this time. It's transition time. Is a terrible thing? Because, you know, not sleeping, having nights, none of that was fun. Being extremely emotional at times, not fun. But it also clued me into my body needs my attention and I can take care of it because that is what I've been teaching people my whole life is how to take care of your body. Could I do it for myself? And then could I teach other people what I have learned? That's what I do now is I don't tell people what to eat or what the nutritional values are. I help people understand what they eat. And if they're eating when they're not hungry, Dealing with that emotional landscape, that's what we call emotional hunger versus physical hunger. I've seen a lot of women in menopause tell me they're hungrier than ever. And I don't think it's physical hunger. I think it's this emotional component because emotions are so heightened. And if you are used to just going on diet, to lose weight and not pay attention, those emotions make you want to eat more. And it feels, if you separated emotional hunger from physical hunger, you probably do feel more hungry. It's just not physical. Right, exactly. You hit on a lot of great points there. And that was a lot in one, and so many, like encapsulated in so many different anecdotal stories that you shared. But that's a lot of, you're speaking in the language of a lot of women. Yeah. And speaking the language of a lot of people who have been on that up and down, that back and forth, the I can and I know I can because I've done it in the past. Yeah. But this time now I'm hitting this wall and this is unfamiliar territory. And what was working isn't working. But I don't know what to do next because this has always worked. And now I'm in this place where nothing's working and I don't know what to do next. And so where does that leave me now? So that was that was good. So how does establishing a strong mind-body connection help one reach and maintain a healthy weight without deprivation and unsustainable restrictions? Well, first of all, I think the thing that I want to point out is, is that as we get older, our metabolism does slow down. You would probably agree with that. I do. Yeah. And I think if our metabolism is slowing down, I think that means that our appetite is decreasing. And so if we're totally connected to our appetites from the beginning, like in my 30s or 20s when I started dieting, if I was more connected to hunger and fullness, I probably would have just been eating less over time without anybody telling me to do anything because my body was dictating it anyway. Right. But the women that I work with are mostly like I was, which means I never paid attention to my appetite. And to me, an appetite could be emotional hunger or physical hunger. I didn't know the difference. So right. emotional hunger can feel like physical hunger. So the connection now is, is that number one, what is your appetite feel like? It, so that's the first thing that I do with anybody and that I would do with anybody that's on this call right now is how hungry do you think you are right now? And so I use a physical hunger scale from negative 10 to a plus 10. Negative 10 means you're starving, and a plus 10 means you're stuffed. 
and we start applying numbers to hunger and fullness just to get the feel for what it's like connecting into your body. And I think that as women, sometimes we disconnect from our bodies in order to get things done, in order to, um, you know, sometimes we won't get as much sleep because we, our minds are telling us that we have things to do, even though our bodies are giving us all kinds of signals to say, go to sleep. So I love to start with the introduction is the easiest, simplest connection is hunger and fullness. And once you do that, there are other connections that are very, very important to make when you're making a mind-body connection. As a chiropractor, I dealt with people with pain. My recommendations to my patients was always maintenance care, which meant please come in before you're dying. Don't come in when your pain level is a 10. Come in when your pain level is like a 2 or 3, not a lot. Get an adjustment and go on your way, and nothing is interrupted. Most people like to hear their body screaming at them before they decide they want to do something for their pain. And I think it's the same thing with hunger and fullness. We don't want to eat when, it's, when we have this light feeling, when it's time to eat. We want to push it. Oh, well, let me get this done. Let me get that done or whatever pushing it until we're so hungry that we're not mindful about what we eat and don't care. And then, of course, sometimes if we wait too long, we eat more because our bodies are more compulsive. And so we eat more than we need if we're not paying attention. Now, those aren't the only reasons we eat more than we need because there's a lot of emotional components too, just like if you're eating something and it tastes good, your mind may say, oh, this is so good, let's keep eating it. When's the last time we had something this good? Even though your body is saying, stop, you're at a plus two. I mean, and when we talk about these numbers, we learn how to connect to them and understand what they are. I think it's the way that we were wired when we were kids, and I'm trying to fi I just tried to figure out a way to go back to that by giving it a number. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think I do the same thing with pain, um, just like you described before. Is like, yeah. you know, where one, so I can see, because we can all say, oh, I'm not in that much pain. But exactly. That much, not much pain for me could mean excruciating pain for you. Exactly. And I may never even get to excruciating pain because I'm like, well, I can still work or I can still do this. And, you know, we you know categorize it that way. So giving it that number kind of for that person is like, okay, well, I know today you were at a 10 yesterday you're at a three exactly today you're at a one you know something like that so it, it does provide a framework yes so what do you feel is missing from diet and exercise plans overall well I think the thing that's missing from a diet program overall is are you hungry or are you full <laughs> yeah what I mean that was what was missing for me I don't see very many places where that's a question and even it's like I, I've had my clients say to me when they're out to eat with friends and they leave food on their plate and they've been losing weight and their friend will say, well, what diet are you on? And she'll say, I'm just not eating because I'm not hungry. And they go, well, what diet is that? Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, it's the mind kind body of... body connection diet. <laughs> exactly. It's almost unheard of. It's like, well, why right. is there food on your plate? Oh, or, or sometimes people will say to me, oh, you have such good willpower if I'm not eating something. Mm. But I love to teach people that you can decide not to eat something because you don't want it. Right. I mean, That's just a like a little kid. You yeah. cannot make a little kid eat something if they're done. They will throw it in your face. <laughs> yeah. I mean. But a lot of our households were taught that we couldn't get up until you had finished everything on your plate. That's true. Or you couldn't get dessert until you finished everything on your plate. That is true. And these are reinforcing habits that are not healthy. Correct. And in the name of, you know, not having a picky eater or, you know, I understand some of the underlying rationale, what the intention was, but some of those habits are, you know, forcing a child to overeat and yes. putting more on that child's plate than 
they should have had in the first place. Yes. Uh, or getting seconds, you know, things of that nature. You can't eat this until you, you can't get seconds of this until you, you know, eat all of that, you know, that aspect of things. And those are healthy, unhealthy habits that have been established, like you mentioned, from childhood, but have, you know, been carried forth until adulthood. And so now it's like when people leave food on their plate, what's wrong with you? Why exactly. did you eat all your food? Mm-hmm. And we pathologize and, and- it. And it's almost like it's a disconnect mind-body connection. And that's like a lot of the work that I'll do with my clients is, well, why do you think you have to eat it? Mm-hmm. And to hear what their mind, because it's their mind that's concocting this up. I have to because I have to finish everything on my plate. Well, why? Well, because that's the way I was raised. And I go, mm-hmm. well, where are those people who are raising you? Are they in the room when you're eating? <laughs> Where are they now? Where are they now? Where are they now? But they're in our heads, and that is what we're talking about when we talk about a mind-body connection. We have to be aware of what's going on in our minds and what's going on in our bodies and align them. They need to connect. And I think that's the way not to be deprived or to feel restricted is when you feel that connection. Right. And I I completely agree. And I'm glad that we're reinforcing that mind-body connection because I think a lot of times we separate above the neck, below the neck in terms of compartmentalize. And so we don't even put together that, you know, whatever's happening with us below the neck has some connection with what is going on above the neck. Yes. And, you know, our, you know, past messages that we have now internalized. And again, that stuff that happened when you were five and six, why are you still doing it at 40? Excellent point. <laughs> and, but, but we've carried those things. Those are lessons. So what are some tenets of mindful eating? Talk to us about mindful eating as a practice. Well, I think one of the things that I talk about, and this is in terms of like, I really believe that people should think in their minds that they can eat whatever they want. Mm. That doesn't mean that because you think you can eat whatever you want, that you're going to eat bonbons all day long. (laughs) I think it's something that I like to teach because if you believe you can't eat something, you're going to want it more. It creates the opposite feeling than what you're trying. When you say, I can't eat it, you will want to eat it. Right. And when you believe you can eat it, you just don't want it, it's a totally different feeling. And it's not like we can just create that in one session. Yeah. But it is the goal for you to believe that, you know, like I could eat. I, when I, in the old days of dieting, I believed I could not eat anything. I had to stick to my points. Mm-hmm. And when I had lost my weight, And then I believed I could eat whatever I wanted. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that was, is I wanted to eat whatever I couldn't eat Mm -hmm. when I was on a diet, which is why I would gain my weight back and go back and do the same thing over and over again. And now the mindfulness is, is I I can eat whatever I want all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what do I want? And what does your body need? It, what, do, what, what does my body need and what do I want in the end? Like right. I want a good connection with my body. Mm-hmm. I want to feel good when I'm through eating. But I also teach the mindfulness of being able to eat a food that has no nutritious value. I call it right. joy eating. Mm-hmm. To eat a food that's just joyful. There is right. no value to it for your body. It just tastes good. And it's emotionally feeding your emotionals, that emotional part of you. Again, we all have that thing. We all have that. It's comfort food. I call it comfort food. But it's like you're eating it not because it's going to, you know, actually provide, like you said, nutrient value. You're eating it because as you're doing so, you're enjoying that experience. Exactly. Period. Yeah. And we all have one. We all have probably several (laughs) of those. Well, I think it's really important to be able to allow yourself to think like that and use that because the mindful, when I call it a joy eat, the definition of a joy eat to me is eating a non-nutritious food, but enjoying it bite by bite mm-hmm. and stopping the minute that you're done, which means at least the way I teach it and the way I like to use it is I don't need a lot of it. Mm-hmm. 
if it's mindful, you know, my brain may come in and go, yum, 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 yum. Let's eat more, 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 more. Mm -hmm. But if you're watching your mind and you're aware of it, you also can manage it and go back to the enjoyment and I've had enough. Right. And it's a practice and it takes away, it gives you the ability to believe and to think that you can eat whatever you want. It's just, what do I want? Right. Oh, I love that. It's it's just, what do I want? I mean, really, I think, what do you want? Yeah. And I think that's a combination of, you know, that hierarchy of needs, wants, and desires in terms of your body needs water. I mean, you Correct. can eat a long time, even without food, but you cannot go a long time without water, without certain things, you know, even mild dehydration starts to, can affect you, not to the point that it's, you know, you're going to perish, but you can go longer without food than you can without water. Yeah. And then it's the the things that your body wants. Okay. Maybe I want a T-bone steak, but do you need a T-bone? Do you, you want a T-bone steak, but you really just need some protein and some iron? Um, and then those desires, oh, I want a steak from, let's say, Ruth's Chris. So now yeah. these are hierarchies of needs, wants, and desires, mm. but being able to compartmentalize those accordingly based on what's going to make you into a a being that is healthy and and well and feels good in, in your own skin. So that's important to recognize too. Yeah, I think it's very important to recognize. And I think it's really important because like I said, I think most people know the foods that will fuel them. Mm -hmm. And I think when you don't think that there's something wrong with you because you have to lose weight, I think this idea that there's something wrong with me and I have to lose weight, therefore I should suffer. Mm. And suffering meaning I can't eat the foods that I could that you can eat because you don't have a weight problem. Right. Keeps the weight on. Yeah. I mean that's cortisol, that's stress. And stress that's is correct. gonna always keep the keep the pounds on because you're never coming off of that fight or flight. That's you're right. always in that perpetual, ongoing, chronic, high stress level, even if you don't feel it, when you're constantly yeah. battling the I shouldn't, I should, I'm not gonna, what if I eat? What's gonna yes. All of that is ongoing stress that nobody needs. That's correct. That's and it's sad. And it's yeah, it is sad. So let's talk about hormonal balances. Hormonal mm. balance and attunement obviously plays a role in this aspect of a woman's life cycle. So how can women adjust to meet their body's needs? Well, I think I kind of said it, but it's like things change a lot mm -hmm. in menopause and beyond. And if you're willing to be aware of, number one, what does tired feel like for you? Mm -hmm. When should you be putting your body to bed? Uh, what do you do if your body won't go to sleep? I mean, like, it's like this mind-body connection of taking care of the body and the body feeding the mind with information is, I think, really essential during this time and very possible. And it's also a time when you probably need more help right. with your body. If it's, you know, going to see you or, or to have your hormones checked or to mm -hmm. see what supplements that you need. You probably need things that your body has never needed before. Right. And there's a lot of support that you can. It's like, it's like a hello, welcome to your body. Are you ready right. to take care of me? <laughs> yes. And I think if you say yes to that answer, the next half of your life can be so much better if you have that connection. And I think yeah. your body is begging you for it at this point. Yeah. And I think it's just like everything else. Everything starts off and from pain to hunger. It starts off with a small, gentle, almost yes. whisper. Non, yeah. Non-perceptible or imperceptible whisper. Yeah. And sometimes we hear it, but sometimes the noise of distractions and noise of busyness, meaning not the actual business in terms of where you work, but the busyness of life is so mm -hmm. loud and we yeah. haven't, you know, extracted ourselves from that noise that that whisper, you, it can be heard, but it's overpowered by so much noise that it's like, like, I think you even use in your example, I'm going to finish this one more project. I'm going to finish this one more thing. I'm mm -hmm. going to do one more thing and your body's saying, but I'm hungry mm -hmm. um, or I'm tired or I need you to drink some water because I'm, I'm parched. 
and you hear it, but it's like this other thing is so much bigger and louder and stronger that it just completely overpowers that whisper. And it's not until, like you said, your body is literally screaming, megaphone, you know, loudspeaker, all those things that it's finally like, okay, let me, let me turn to, turn to pay attention to it. But by that time, there's, you're paying attention to it, but everything else is now out of alignment, out of balance. And it's going to take a lot longer to get back in balance than it would have if you had just listened at that whisper point. I think that's the training. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when I talk about um, training your brain, <laughs> I think this is all a training is that I think up until midlife, I think we can get away with a lot of abuse. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what you did when you were in your 20s. I don't even want to tell you some of the things I did. <laughs> but that I lived to tell the tale and still have, quote, unquote, good health. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you will get in your 50s and beyond. You, mm-hmm. And so it's a beautiful time to go, okay, this is the time that I need to get to know you, get to know yeah. your body, get to know your mind. Your emotions live in your body. Mm-hmm. They talk to you in your body. You think physical hunger talks to you in your body emotions talk to you. There's a lot of stuff going on in your body. Mm-hmm. And if you're willing to pay attention, that's what I like to teach women is let's teach you, like introduce you. Mm-hmm. This is right. your body. What does it need? And this is your mind. Mm-hmm. Do you know how it works? Do you know and what, what it's it saying you? to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because right. this is the thing I tell them is that your mind lies to you a mm-hmm. lot. And many people think if they thought it, it must be true. Yeah. Thoughts are just things that you think and belief systems are just thoughts that you think over and over and over again that become a belief. There is no fact to them, which means that if you're aware of them, you can keep them. I like this or no, I don't want to think that anymore. Mm-hmm. That doesn't serve me. Yeah. It doesn't serve me. So what does serve you? Yeah. You know, that's the question. What would serve right. you? Absolutely. And and sometimes it is that thing that you said, you know, that hasn't had that nutritional value. It does have no nutritional value, but emotionally it is giving you that dopamine hit. And I think that's oftentimes where we overeat or we, you know, eat too much because that dopamine hit does not have that kind of like override. It's like, okay, well, I've had my hit of that good feeling, but then we kind of go past that good place. Yeah. And then it becomes a, now that thing that was good, not only is it not good, but now I feel rotten. That's, and I think that's a, a brain train you know how mm-hmm. we train our brains to know the difference right that that you can have these non-nutritious foods and they will light your brain up mm-hmm. and you will have you will have your mind saying let's have some more of that but that's but we also have a smart part of our brain that can see all this and be aware of it and you can tra- you can train it right to be able to go okay I can enjoy it and I can stop right to feel to. like you control yes. what you put in your mouth. It, cookies don't fly into your mouth. <laughs> right. Yes. You put you them are in control. Absolutely. So in contrast to dieting, how does mindful eating succeed? Or where does mindful eating succeed where dieting doesn't? Because you're following in you're following an internal map. Your body is talking to you. And that doesn't mean that you can't be educated Mm -hmm. and that there are diets out there that can be very helpful in terms of certain foods. There's nothing wrong with education. I like Mm -hmm. my clients to be educated about food. Most of them are way too educated about it, Mm -hmm. I think, and get confused by it. But I think 
it's good to know what's good for your body and what's not right. educatedly. Yeah. And then your body will tell you this works and this doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It feels good. It doesn't feel good. Do a lot of work with clients on what we call a mind body chart where we just chart when we're eating foods, how it makes us feel mentally, physically, mm. uh, spiritually. Yeah. Food is amazing to watch it in the body if you're not working from a deprivation or restriction point of view. Yeah. Food is medicine. Yeah, absolutely. And when it's not your enemy anymore, which is part of the process, when I call it the thinner piece process, that's what I mean is to learn how to use food as medicine and not as your enemy. Yeah. That means you can have non-nutritious food. Of course you can. Mm -hmm. You sure can. But how much do you want? Mm -hmm. Well, when you think you can eat it, you have a much better chance of wanting less. Yep. But it's a process. Yeah. And your body, I, I talk to our clients all the time. And yeah talking about cravings. Yes. And I said, you know, cravings are just a manifestation of some type of deficiency. Nobody craves things that have no nutritional content. You don't crave that. Your body's craving something else, meaning the thing that is more dense, that is more nutritious. And it wants it, but it's manifest as something sugary, something salty, mm -hmm. something, you know, savory. That's not necessarily the thing that your body needs when it probably needs a little bit more protein or it probably needs something a little bit more dense than what you've been giving it. And those cravings are saying, hey, I'm not getting what I need. And so it just transposes into, well, I need something. And you yeah. grab the first thing. And that usually that first thing is not the thing that your body truly wants or needs or desires, if we're being honest. And that's where we get into that. And I'm like, and so we're trying and I try to like, okay. If you're craving something this, try something this. Mm -hmm. Try something that's, you know, opposite that because that's usually what it's needing, something that's going to be grounding, something that's going to truly provide you with the nutritional benefit that your yeah. body's needing, wanting, and desiring. And I, and I would add to that that uh, I, I call them urges and cravings, mm -hmm. kind of the same thing. But when you're feeling those urges or craving, the first question first is, is are you physically hungry? Mm. I think a lot of people have urges or cravings, but they're not physically hungry at all. They're not hungry. Right. So they don't need to eat anything. Yep. But I think a lot of that comes from your own mind and thoughts. Oh, right. I think I need something salty. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think I need something sweet. Sometimes in the middle of the day, I'm a little bored. Something, mm. but they don't, but it doesn't come out as boredom. It comes out as, I think I could use something sweet. Mm -hmm. But there's no physical hunger. So what's really going on? And that's what we dwell in, uh, really get into is what's going on if you're having that craving or an urge and there's no physical hunger. Where is it coming from? What are, right. what's your brain telling you? Yeah, I like that. And your brain's I mean, usually telling is. you, let's take a break. Mm-hmm. Right. I like that. And you mentioned relying on an outside source, yeah. for example, a diet or an eating plan to tell your body when to eat. So how does this mind-body connection method override those messages that is, are going to your brain? Well, you eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and decide through this scale, the scales that I use is when you get to a certain number, we call it a negative two, mm -hmm. it's time to eat. In the okay. beginning, it's foreign. But after a while, it's, I think people can connect to the idea that, oh, I think I, it's, I'm a negative two. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that when you're eating between the twos, what I call it, eating between the twos, is that you don't have that big of an appetite, mm -hmm. which is right. true for what we say about metabolism. It's, it's not as, it, it's, it, it's less than it was. It's lower and slower. And your appetite is less when you can pay attention to it. And I think it's just good to know, but there's a lot of work on the other end than why are you eating? Right. And the why are you eating when you're not hungry is most of the work that I end up doing with people. Okay. 
And many women have had less than optimal relationships with food. You mentioned your, your relationship. Absolutely. And for most people, for the majority of their lives, how do you encourage women to nurture a healthy relationship with food? Well, first of all, if they're contacting me, it's because they want it. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to keep doing what they've been doing. They don't want to keep doing what I was doing. Right, right. And they're really frustrated because they can't lose weight. Mm -hmm. So they're a lot more motivated in their 50s, I think, than any other time. And I think it's a wonderful springboard for really learning how to want to connect to your body. I think through the frustration of not being able to lose weight Mm -hmm. and the realization that maybe this is the time. It's like, I don't think people would contact me if they couldn't lose weight. Right. But I think what they get is so much more than losing weight. Yeah. And I, I mean, and I, I would agree because most people come to see providers like us for a physical reason. Yes. But there's usually a spiritual and emotional that's right. undercurrent that's driving that physical issue. What a beautiful and, thing for you to say. Yeah. And I, because it's, it manifests almost, I mean, every day when yeah. I go to work, I'm like, okay, that's what brought you here. And so mm-hmm. we're going to address that right now. Mm-hmm. But there's usually some type of spiritual or emotional deficit that is also being ignored or under attended to. And that's never talked about or not talked about enough or adequately or appropriately in conventional medicine or modern medicine. We want to throw so much on the physical condition, but we're not just physical beings. And if we were, then those things would work. But we are made up of so much more. Our spirits, our mind, our mental health, our social health, our vocational health, all these things are going on in this one body. That's right. But yet we want to just take all those other facets away and focus on the physical when there's too many interactions with this physical body to ignore all those other components. And I think when people come in for a physical, my thing is that's what you're here for because that's what you've been air quote diagnosed with. Yeah. And sometimes even the diagnosis is wrong. And, you know, people have been under this label and living under a label that doesn't even apply to them, mm. which don't get me started. But I won't now get started. <laughs> with that label, there's a completely disregards those other components and when we start talking about those other components it's like if we would address this this physical stuff would it's going to take care of itself but we don't very often have those um more intimate conversations because they're more challenging it's easy to take a pill it's easy to have a surgery or just take something and mask those things Mm -hmm. but then they're never uncovered they're never dealt with And so those physical problems continue to persist. I couldn't agree with you more, Dr. White. (laughs) And again, those, these are the things that, you know, I guess practitioners and providers that are again, looking at the root cause, we're so, I think, keen to and attuned to addressing that component that it's almost like, well, yeah, the physical is going to alleviate itself but there's something at, you know bigger at play here. So I, I, it's refreshing to hear from another provider and practitioner that perspective. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree with you more. So we were talking about emotions and bringing it back to menopause. Yeah. How do these emotions drive hunger? Well, what I try to teach people, just like what I'm talking about, the physical hunger scale, is to, to help women understand their own physical hunger and physical fullness and being able to apply numbers to it. There's also an emotional hunger scale too that's very much like the physical hunger scale. So one of the things that I do, and I know some people don't want to do it, but I do have food journaling going on. Mm -hmm. And I use food journals, not like an old diet food journal. I Mm -hmm. use them to apply numbers. Okay. Physical hunger scale numbers and emotional hunger scale numbers. So whenever you eat, the question is always how hungry are you? And when you're full, when did you stop? What were your numbers? Mm-hmm. And then there's the emotional hunger scale that you also fill out if you're not eating in between the twos. Mm-hmm. 
And the emotional component, then it's like you start connecting in, just like you can connect to your physical hunger, you start connecting into your emotional hunger. Mm. And sometimes it's the emotional hunger that's driving the eating and not the physical hunger. And then what is that emotion or what is that thinking that's driving it? And helping people become aware of what's driving them to put food in their mouth when they're not hungry. Right. And it's a, it's a fairly simple process, but getting to know your body and getting to know those numbers is an awakening, yeah. but helpful. Very. Yeah, I can definitely. Because, again, it's putting some kind of real value to emotional thing that we yes. sometimes we can't often communicate. Um, I think a lot of people have have troubles with, you know, even defining is it anxiety, is it fear, is it worry? That's because right. Because there are all those those emotions are kind of overlapping and they're similar, but they're different. Yeah. But we don't know how to articulate them. So being able to put a numerical value on it at least provides some type of objectivity to that. Yeah. I can see how that's helpful. And um, I I think that what's really important is that. I don't care that they know their emotions every second that they're eating. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to know the emotional landscape when they're eating when they're not hungry. Mm, okay. I okay. think it's a, it's a good start than thinking you have to name it all the time. People get very confused. Well, I don't know what I'm feeling. Well, did, <laughs> right. you, did you eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full? Was it mostly fuel food? Yes. Then let it go. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. We talk about that acronym H-A-L-T, the hunger, your hunger, actually eating when you're hungry, eating when you're angry, eating yeah. when you're lonely, eating when you're tired. That's when most people eat during those, you know, those four kind of uh, categories. However, Absolutely. sometimes, like you mentioned, we're eating and we don't know why. What's the best way to get answers for the individual? Well, I think the best way is if they're working, well, if they're working with me, I'll tell you how they do it, but I'll tell you how you do it if you're not working with me because it's kind of the same because you can always okay. get this food journal that I use from me. And when I'm coaching somebody, like I'll be coaching somebody and I'll be going through their food journals and I'm going to be looking for eating when they're not eating between the twos. That's what I'm looking mm, for. Okay. And let's say it's in the evening since that seems to be a common denominator along around a lot of people mm -hmm. is that we see that there's no physical hunger and yet they just ate three cookies and some potato chips and some of this and some of that. And I'll go, well, why did you do that? And the first question will always be, I don't know. Mm. It tasted good and I wanted it. Right. Most people just don't know. And they just think they, j it's just a way to beat themselves up. Right. I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't eat it, but I wanted it. So I did it and I don't know. So that's where we start. Okay. And from there, then I go to, well, how tired were you? Mm -hmm. So this is a very good question to ask yourself, especially if it's in the evening when you're eating, is to check in with how you feel from a tired point of view. Right. What I find with a lot of people is that that tired scale is they're tired. Mm -hmm. right. And they can see that they're more tired than they are physically hungry. Mm -hmm. So emotionally speaking, their emotional hunger scale or the tiredness is pretty strong. Right. And they're fill. I call it a hole. They're filling that hole with cookies and potato chips or whatever. And there's not enough to fill that hole. Right. And most people will say, well, I could have kept going or I just felt so bad I had to stop. But you can't make yourself feel better. Mm -mm. It's like when you're hungry and you eat, you will feel better. Right. From an emotional standpoint, there's no feeling better. Now, some people may say, well, it comforts me or it makes it really doesn't. Mm -hmm. When we really look at it, well, what's comforting about this phone call that we're having right now? about why you ate when you're not hungry and how terrible you feel. Tell me what's comfortable about that. Right. Their brain's saying, oh, this feels good. Mm -hmm. There's nothing good about it. Yeah, when we look at it in a very afterwards. mindful way afterwards. Right. right. Precisely. 
So when will a person know that they are ready for a different approach to weight loss? I know you knew when what it was for you, but how does what is that, I guess, emotional trigger or that, I guess, um, just dissatisfaction point where they said enough is enough and they'll know they're ready for something different? I think what, what I see the most mm-hmm. is this frustration with not being able to lose weight is right. I think what that, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think that's what that point is. It's, and that is exactly what the point was for me is I just can't use my tips and tricks anymore. Right. But it is an opportunity. That is the opportunity. That's why I'm talking to you. It's like if somebody hears this, I want them to think, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. I could actually learn a different way and I can learn it more now than I ever could before because I'm more motivated to learn it and I don't want to keep doing what I was. I mean, I was motivated and a lot of people are really motivated to stop all this. Right. Okay. So are there any additional resources you suggest for our listeners who are interested in mindful eating during menopause and postmenopause? Well, I I would say one is is that I have... um, a jumpstart weight loss and menopause okay. that you can get on my website. Gotcha. And we can put that in the show notes or I can just say it right now. You can say it now. We'll put it in the show notes. It's drdebbutler.com forward slash change. Got it. I'll link it up. And there's food journals in it. And everybody I work with hates food journaling. And so did I. But this is not like anything you've ever done before. This will bring your awareness and mindfulness up if you're willing to do it. All right. Any parting words of wisdom? Um, I think the best thing that I can say is the best is yet to come. I love it. I love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Deb. Thank you. Thanks for joining Women's Health Wisdom and Wine. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply it to your own life. Also, remember to follow us, review us, and give us five stars. Till we meet again, remember, nourish your flourish.